Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us, we want to welcome you. My name is Rick. I have the honor and privilege of being the pastor here. If you're watching online, we want to welcome you as well. Thanks for watching with us. And uh, so we are um, we're in the middle. We're starting Christmas. It's starting to look a lot like Christmas around here, isn't it? It does, and it feels a lot like Christmas outside, and, and we had the Christmas parade last night. It was cold, y'all. Uh, I don't know about y'all. I was cold. I was cold out there, and, uh, but it was so good to see uh, you know, our city celebrating Christmas, and, uh, and so it's starting to look a lot like Christmas, and, and so I thought about that, and I thought, have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered where the idea of exchanging gifts came from? Like one of the things that we do at Christmas is we, we give gifts and we receive gifts, and I thought this week, where did that come from? Like, what, where did that start? Where did that begin? And believe it or not, the idea of exchanging Christmas gifts began long before the first Christmas and long before those famous gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men. And I always think about it. I think it's always funny that we can remember the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus, but we can barely remember what we got for Christmas last year. Like, I can ask even a lot of kids, and they'll tell me about the gifts that the wise men brought, but we don't remember what we got last year. And, and gift giving, it began, believe it or not, as an ancient Roman pagan practice. And it was centered around this festival that was called Saturnalia. And, uh, and so here's an ancient picture. It was from, taken from a wall of a family exchanging gifts uh, during the celebration. And so this was a celebration that happened in December where the people would celebrate the God of agriculture. And, uh, and they, would, they would say thank you back to the God for providing crops. And on December 17th is when it began. And it went all the way through December 23rd. And the Romans would celebrate. And I don't know if you know history or not, but the Romans, they like to celebrate. Like they like to have a party. And, and so during Saturnalia, uh, they would have these huge parties. And sometimes these parties would even get a little out of hand. Uh, and, uh, and then they would also exchange gifts with one another uh, to, uh, uh, to give appreciation or thanks for their God for providing the bounty of their crops. And so that's where this idea of exchanging gifts began. And, and during this, this celebration on December 19th was the day that you would exchange gifts. And so you would be celebrating, celebrating, then you'd exchange gifts, and then you'd celebrate some more throughout the week. And, and they wouldn't give like extravagant gifts, or they wouldn't give luxurious gifts, or they wouldn't give expensive things, but they would give modest gifts to one another. And, uh, and so sometimes they would give them household needs, like maybe candles. Uh, other times they would give like seasonal figurines of maybe their gods. Other times they would give, believe it or not, they would give gag gifts. Like way back in the day, they were giving gag gifts. So when I was thinking about this gift exchange that began way back in history, it was kind of like one of those, um, uh, one of those uh, wacky gift exchanges. Have you ever done one of the wacky gift exchanges where like you draw numbers and you bring a gift and it's like $5 or below and you bring a gift, and you put it on a tree and you drag a number and you can steal the gift so many times. Sometimes it's a gag gift. Other times it's just something from the Dollar Tree or whatever. But that's what they did is they would exchange these modest gifts with one another. And sometimes there would be a gag gift involved in it. And as Christianity, though, took over the culture, uh, the tradition uh, or the traditional gift giving was used to symbolize the three gifts of frankincense and myrrh and gold that the wise men brought to Jesus following his birth. And you remember the Christmas story, the Bible tells us of the wise men journeying 
up to Jesus' location and they find him as a baby and they bring these gifts to him and they followed the north, they followed the star, right? Uh, and the star led them to where Jesus was. And so this idea of exchanging gifts has been going on for a really long time. This idea of giving a gift and receiving a gift is not something new. Like, it's not something that, uh, that, that, that just started, but it's been going on for years and centuries and, and thousands of years. And so today, we're starting a new three-week series, teaching series, called The Gift Exchange. And, and it's all about the exchange that takes place in our relationships with God. And so, in particular, we're going to talk about giving God our worries in exchange for peace. We're going to talk about giving God our hurts in exchange for healing. And we're going to talk about giving God our grief in exchange for joy. But before we dive in today, uh, I thought since we're talking about gifts, I thought it might be fun to maybe give a gift away this morning. And so as I was thinking about it in, my, in, the, in the front row there, I was like, man, how are we going to, I gave uh, our early service, I gave it to uh, our longest kids ministry uh, door holder. And so um, they're all serving though right now. And so this morning I thought I would give it to uh, any Louisville fans in the room. Anyone like Louisville? I'm sorry, we got two, or keep your hands up. So we got a few Louisville fans. So I feel for you all right now. Your basketball season is like rough. And I felt like you needed a gift. And so, so John, how long have you been a Louisville fan? Since I met Matt. Since you met Matt. Matt, how long have you been a Louisville fan? 20 years. How long have you been a Louisville fan? What's that? All right, so Matt, you're the winner today. Matt Kidd, give it up for Matt Kidd. Matt, you got to come on up here. Come on, come on, come on. And uh, you, here's a gift from us to you, but you got to open it right now. So just go ahead and tear into it. Like, don't be kind. Don't be gentle. Just, just rip into it. Don't save the paper for next year. All right, what do we got? What do we got? I don't either. Oh, you got like a toothbrush. Look at that, man. Two of them. So one for you, one for Lauren. Electric toothbrush. Give it up to Matt. All right. So Matt's going to be smiling and showing off his pearly whites next week. Uh, and uh, so, so who knows? Next week we'll give away some more gifts, but, uh, but we're praying for you Louisville fans. I'm not a UK fan either, so I, I don't have any fight dog in the fight. But, uh, but anyway, so, uh, so we're talking about this idea of the gift exchange. And, uh, and so we say this about Christmas. We often say that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And we talk about it, and, and as I was at the parade last night, and I was, uh, there was a nativity scene, there was a couple nativity scenes on the back of trailers, there was Santa Claus, there was all these things, and, and it's easy for us to think that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but, but it also can feel like the most stressful time of the year, can it? Like sometimes Christmas doesn't feel like the most wonderful time of the year. It often feels like the most stressful time of the year. And why? Well, for a lot of different reasons. We're busy, right? Like we're busy shopping. We're, some of us are busy baking. We're going to parties. We're attending kids programs. We're, uh, we're doing parades. We're looking at our budget going, how is this going to happen? We're visiting family. We're traveling. Uh, our schedules just get so jam-packed with stuff that we, we find ourselves wondering, how in the world am I going to fit all this in? Like, I don't have time. I've got a, a busy life already, and now I've got to fit all this extra stuff in. And we get stressed out, and we worry about our schedules. Or, or, or then there's our finances, right? Like, like, did you know that the average American family will spend almost $1,000 
on Christmas. And that's what we do. And too many times what we do is we spend more money than we have, and then we go into debt, and then we are worrying about how we're going to pay for it all. And so we begin to worry about our finances. And then maybe for some of us, we're reminded of those special people who are no longer with us, uh, or, or maybe a past Christmas that was really painful. And we find ourselves wondering and worrying about how am I just going to get through How am I going to get through this Christmas like Aunt Betty's not going to be there this year? My sister or my brother or my mom or my dad, they're not going to be here this year. Or you remember the Christmas five years ago where your mom or your dad left you or your husband or your wife. And and, and you remember those painful moments and you're thinking, how in the world am I going to get through this Christmas? So yeah, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, but it can also be one of the most stressful times of the year because we worry. And one of the most important sermons ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses worry head on. Like Jesus talks point blank about worry. And so you know if Jesus is talking about worry that it must be an important topic when it comes to our relationship with God. Like it's something that he spoke about in the most important sermon that he ever gave and he brings up this idea of worry. Now, now let me be clear that there's some differences between worry and other things. Like, there's a difference between worry and caution. Like, we should be weary and worry about dangerous situations. Like, it, 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 you should worry if a bear with his mouth open and his claws out is running at you. You should worry right? Like that, that is, that is, it's okay to worry in that situation. Not only should you worry, but I think you should probably run too, but, but you should worry. There are, there are times where we should worry or maybe even being uh, conservative in your decision-making because there's a difference between worry and wisdom. And so maybe if you're pondering or taking time to process a big decision, there's a difference between worrying about it and being wise or making a good decision. And, and it just might mean that you're being wise. Uh, also, I want you to know that we're not talking about certain kinds of anxiety this morning that have to do with something uh, that experienced trauma uh, and we're not, uh, uh, that you've been through. And we're not perhaps struggle with depression. We're not talking about depression this morning. We're talking about a kind of worry that we can all avoid. Like anxiety and depression are are real things that we struggle with and and that affect our mind. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a kind of worry that we can avoid. And so I have to ask, are there any worry warts in the crowd today? Any worry warts? All right. So in the first service, I couldn't say worry warts. It was awful. I don't know what came out of my mouth, but I grew up with a worry wart. I did. My mom was a worrywart. So we drove to school because I went to school that she taught at. And so we drove to school every morning and never failed. Every morning we'd get to the end of the driveway and she'd start worrying. Did I, did I unplug the curling iron? Did I turn off the stove? Did I unplug the coffee pot? And then we get down the road. Did I close the garage door? And she worried the entire way. It was like a 30-minute drive, and she worried the entire way whether she did one of those things. I'm like, Mom, did you use the stove today? 
No? Well, then why would you not have turned it off? I mean, it wasn't on. And did you drink coffee today? Well, no, I didn't. Well, then why are you worrying about that? Like she would constantly worry about these things. And so uh, that's rubbed off on me. I'm a bit of a worry wart, if I'm honest with you, and I worry about things. And, uh, and so I can just say I got that from my mom. And, uh, but, but today I thought, you know, before we talk about worry, maybe we need to understand what worry is. And so I have a definition for you. Uh, of worry that'll kind of help us out and then it'll be up on the screen it says worry is allowing your mind to dwell on potentially negative outcomes beyond our actual control now worrying is dwelling it's focusing in on it's pondering it's threading a th- you know uh, it's 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 wasting time on this negative outcome that is beyond your control Like there's nothing you can do about it, even if it comes to fruition. And we spend our time and our wheels are spinning worrying about this thing. It's like worrying about the weather. Can you control the weather? No. It's worrying about the outcome of a, maybe a a hard conversation that you need to have. Can you control how the other person responds? No. Worrying about maybe a new job or getting a job or finding a job uh, and you worry, but is is it in your control? It's things that we can't actually control. And like I said, Jesus knew. Jesus, he knows us. He knows everything about us. And he knew that we would struggle with this idea of worrying. And he talks about it. And so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. So in New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the gospels and Matthew's the first one in the New Testament. And, uh, and so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 35, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' first public, uh, recorded public sermon, and it was long, y'all. It was a long sermon, and he talks about some things, and he addresses some really important things in the Christian life, and he talks about worry. So let's see what he has to say, starting in verse 25. You can read along in your Bibles. You can read along on the screen, Uh, and it says this. That is why, Jesus is speaking, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. From the very beginning, Jesus says, don't worry. And he says, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And check this out. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They didn't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Now Solomon was a king back in the Old Testament. He was wealthy. He was like wise and wealthy, and he had the best clothes ever. And Jesus saying, yet even the best of his best... He's not dressed as beautifully as the lilies of the field are, and they don't worry about their clothing. Verse 30, and if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Listen, if you leave here today with knowing nothing else, I hope that you leave here knowing that God cares about you. He says this, then he says after that, he says, why Do you have so little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. 
But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. God knows you. He knows all of your needs. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God. Above all else, put Jesus at the center and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. And then he wraps up saying this, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So Jesus has a ton to say about worrying. And the first thing that he says is he says this, he says that worry is unnatural. He says that worry is unnatural. In verses 26 through 30, what does Jesus do but reminds us that the birds and the lilies of the fields and the wildflowers, they don't worry. And so neither should we, because why? Because God will take care of us. And just like he does the birds and the lilies and the wildflowers, God will take care of us. And now that doesn't mean that you just become lazy, right? That doesn't mean that you just sit in your recliner and watch TV and binge watch Netflix and eat potato chips all day. That's not what he's saying. It's not that we become lazy and sit around doing nothing because the birds, just like the birds gather their food, we still need to work hard. We need to work hard, but we do it trusting that God will take care of us. Like we go to work knowing that God will take care of us. We, we give God thanks for the job we, we have or we give God thanks for what we're doing and we know and believe that God's gonna take care of us. So worry is not natural, it's unnatural. The second thing that Jesus says is that worry is unproductive, right? Worry is unproductive. He says worry doesn't actually change anything. And, uh, and, and what did he say in verse 27? He says, can all of your worries, like add them all up, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? Does it actually do anything worthwhile? When you spend all night up worrying, does it actually change anything? And Jesus would say no. He would say worry doesn't even add a single moment to your life. As a matter of fact, worry doesn't make us live longer, but according to science and research, it will surely help you die early. Dr. Charles Mayo, who's the founder of the Mayo Clinic, he, he wrote these words. He says, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known of a lot who died of worry. Worry does no good. Worrying has no benefit. Worrying does not help us physically mentally or spiritually. And I love what Jesus says right after that in verse 26. He says, hey, look at the birds. He's like, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And then he says this, and aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Like, did you realize that you are more valuable to God than any other creation on this earth? You matter to God. He cares about each and every one of you. You are far more valuable to God than any bird, any plant, or any animal. And so we don't need to worry because God cares about us. And God is going to take care of us. Worrying is just plain unproductive. It's not natural. It's unproductive. And then the third thing he says is that worry is unchristian. He says, worry is unchristian. When we worry, it reflects a lack of faith in God. 
And verse 30 says, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that they're here today and thrown into the wildfire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And then he poses the question to them, why do you who worry have such small faith? Why do you who worry have so little faith? In other words, we have to trust. We have to believe that God is going to take care of us no matter what. So how do we give God our worries and how do we exchange our worries for God's peace? Let me give you three responses to that question this morning. How do we do that? The first thing is this, we gotta let Jesus be the king. We have to let Jesus be the king. Ask yourself, what deserves the most prominence uh, in my thought life? Like, what do I think the most about? What deserves the most uh, thoughts in my thought life? In other words, what should be at the center of what you're thinking about? Here's a hint. It's Jesus. Jesus should be at the center of our thought life. And when you put his kingdom first and make God's purposes your primary concerns, you don't have to worry about a lot of the other things in your life. When Jesus is the king of your thought life, you don't have to worry about your family. You don't have to worry about your job. You don't have to worry about your relationships. You don't have to worry about your next steps. You don't have to worry about your finances because you trust that God is in the midst of each and every one of your circumstances, that he's with you and he's gonna take care of you. He's with you when you struggle with alcoholism. He's with you when you struggle with your relationships. He's with you when you struggle with your marriage. He's with you when you struggle with your finances and he's going to take care of you. So let Jesus be the king of your thoughts. Number two, we got to learn to live one day at a time. Like we spend a lot of time worrying about things we can't control that are way up there ahead of us. And we've got to learn to live one day at a time. God gives us enough power and he gives us enough strength for today, but not for tomorrow. He gives us what we need for today. He doesn't equip you to prevent all future situations that you're going to go through. He gives you enough strength to deal with what comes at you today. And he wants you and me to learn to depend on him each and every day and not on our own selves and our own strength. And that's why God gives us what we need for today. Listen, if God gave you enough grace for the week, we would ignore him, neglect God until the end of the week. Or if God gave us enough grace for the entire year, we would neglect and ignore God until that year was up and then we'd come back to him. God will always give us what we need for today. So church, let me just encourage you and challenge you to live one day at a time. Why do you think that Jesus, when he was praying and the disciples were like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Like we wanna learn how to pray from you. And Jesus gives them the model for prayer, which is what we call today the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we pray these words, give us, Lord, what? Our daily bread. Give us what we need for today. Give us what we need to live and survive today because God gives us that. He gives us exactly what we need for today. 
Jesus said, you can't control tomorrow, so why worry about tomorrow? Focus on today. So live one day at a time. Number three, the third thing that we learned from this is that we got to learn to lean on the faithfulness of God. And this one's huge. Lean on the faithfulness of God. And what does that mean? It simply means that we've got to learn to talk to God and let him remind you of his promises. We've got to learn to allow God to speak to us the promises that he's made. And this is what it looks like. It means tell God about what you're worrying about. If you feel overwhelmed with worry, if you're waking up at night, you're staying up at night, you can't sleep because of worry, tell God about it. Like, let God know about what you're worrying about. And this is what Paul tells us to do in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. So Philippians is later on in the New Testament, it's a, uh, and, and it's a letter written to the church at Philippi by the apostle Paul. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, do not worry about what? Anything. Do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all that he has done. So Paul tells us to do two things in this scripture, two things that are really important. Uh, when, and and when we, uh, what to do with our worries. We tell God about it, number one. And then number two, we thank God for what he's done. We tell God about what we're worrying about, and then we thank God for what he's done and about to do. So I've gotten in the habit in my prayer life uh, to thank God in advance. So if I'm praying for, uh, if I'm praying for my wife, or I'm praying for uh, my family, or I'm praying for uh, the church, I, say, I always pray, and then at the end of that, I say, and God, thank you in advance for how you're going to answer that prayer. Thank you in advance for taking care of my family. Thank you in advance for growing the church. So I, I'm always uh, partnering my needs with thanksgiving. And, and that's what Paul tells us to do. He says, listen, tell God what you need. Don't be afraid to tell God when you're worrying, but then thank him for all that he's done. And why do we thank God? I think we do it because it's hard to worry when we're giving thanks to God. It's hard for us to get caught up in worrying when we're being thankful for all that God has done. When we count our blessings, it's hard to worry. You see, gratitude refocuses our mind on the goodness and the gifts of God rather than on the problems and the circumstances around us. And so Paul says, Tell God about what you're worried about. Go ahead and tell him. Don't hold back. Tell him what you're worried about, but then give thanks. Find something to be thankful for. Find something to say thank you to God for and, and, and thank him in advance for how he's going to answer your prayers. And then we keep reading in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, and he, Paul goes on and says this. He says, hey, if you'll talk to God about your worries and you'll give thanks, it says, then... Here's the then, here's the promise. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing promise that when we give God our worries, the promise is that he will give us his peace. And it's not just any kind of peace. It's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that will guard your heart and your mind. It's a significant, supernatural, amazing, wow kind of peace. That if we 
We'll talk to God and share our worries with him. And if we'll give him thanksgiving and have a heart of gratitude, the promise is that he will give us this supernatural peace. You worried about your finances? Check it out. God's peace is bigger. You worried about your relationships? God's peace will guard your heart. You worried about your job security? God's peace will overcome your fears. You worried about your health? God's peace far exceeds any amount of worry that you can come up with. If we will just learn to talk to him and share our worries and be thankful for the blessings in our lives. You see, church, there's no limit. There's no limit to what God's peace can do in our lives. God's peace can come at the most uh, crazy, upside down, uh, weirded out moment in your life. Your circumstances can be overwhelming. You can be like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the next moment. But if you will talk to God and tell him about your circumstances, give him thanks for what he's done in your life and what he's about to do in your life, God's promise will be that he will give you supernatural peace. What a promise that is for us. Like if I was sitting out there, I would have said amen at the end of that. But I'm not out there. I'm up here. So amen at the end of that, that God's peace overcomes all of our worries. It's too late now. You missed it. (laughs) You see, part of learning God's faithfulness is pursuing his promises. Part of learning and leaning on God's faithfulness is pursuing his promises. And you can't pursue his promises if you don't know what they are. That's why I tell you all the time, it's so important that we're in the word of God. It's so important that we're taking daily doses of God's word and putting them in our hearts because in his word is where we find his promises. And I don't know if you know it or not, but there are over 7,500 promises in the word. 7,500 promises specifically made to you and to me. Like there's more promises, but there's 7,500 promises that are made to us in God's word. And, And I don't know, that's a ton of promises that God's made. So when you find yourself worrying and when you find yourself, uh, not knowing what to do next, lean on the faithfulness of God and claim his promises. We say it this way. We say, stand on the promises of God, right? Like we sing an old hymn. If you went to old time church, you would sing this hymn called standing on the promises of God. And that's what we need to do in our life when we find ourselves overwhelmed with worry. We stand on the promises of God. I just want to share with you a few of my top five favorite promises that God's made us. There's the promise of salvation in John 3.16, where Jesus promises us salvation. There's the promise of answered prayer in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. There's the promise of victory over sin in James 1.14. There's the promise of God's forgiveness in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. There's the promise of God's guidance in John 16.13. Those are just five of 7,500 different promises that God has made to you and to me. So here's some truth, some truth that I hope that you'll walk away with today, and it's this. You can dwell on your problems or you can stand on the promises of God. You can spend your life worrying about your problems or you can choose to stand on the promises of God. You can spend the rest of your life thinking, I'm not going to make it. I'm never going to do it. I can't do it. I don't know how this God. You can spend the rest of your life doing that. Or 
you can claim victory in the promises that God has made us. And there's not just one promise. There's 7,500 promises in the Bible. So when you let Jesus be king, and when you live, learn to live one day at a time, and you lean on God's faithfulness, he will bring victory over your worries and guard your heart and guard your mind with a peace that passes all understanding. You know, I was thinking about these promises, and there's one of God's greatest promises. And I think that one of his greatest promises has everything to do with Christmas. It has everything to do with the greatest gift ever given. It was the promise. It was the promise of the birth of a future Savior who would rescue us from our sins and who would put us right with God again. And throughout the Old Testament, we find these promises of Jesus. And one of those is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for unto us a king is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, and his name will be called Counselor, and his name will be called Mighty God, and his name will be called Everlasting Father, and his name will be called Prince of Peace. Church, you don't have to live with worry. Because the Prince of Peace came on Christmas morning. You see, Christmas is all about God making good on his promise that when Jesus was born in the manger over 2,000 years ago, that God sent his son for nothing in return, that God sacrificed his son for nothing in return. Here's the beauty, beautiful thing about God. He doesn't force himself on us. He gives us the choice. He gives us the decision to choose to receive the greatest gift ever given, which was Jesus. He gives every man, every woman, and every child the gift of salvation. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you are. He has given you the gift of salvation. So let me just ask you this morning, is worry taking your life by storm this Christmas? Are you overwhelmed with worry? Let me just say, you don't have to be. Christmas doesn't have to be a season of worry. This Christmas, it can be different. You can exchange your worries for the gift of peace. You can. If you find yourself overwhelmed with worry, let me just invite you this morning talk to God. Share your worries and your concerns with him. Tell God about the things you're worrying about. Tell him about the things that keep you up at night and open yourselves up to receive that supernatural peace. Believing that God will and wants 
to take care of you. And if you're here this morning and you have never received God's promise of salvation, why not start today? Like, why not let today be the day that you invite Jesus into your life to be your Lord and your Savior, to begin this journey of salvation, to begin this journey of peace with the Prince of Peace? You see, not only did Jesus come to exchange your worries for peace, but he came to exchange your sin for freedom. Freedom from a life of sin and freedom to live forever to eternity and beyond with God. So as we're praying this morning, I want to invite everyone to stand up with me. And I'm going to ask you to open your arms up like this. And with your arms open, you're giving God your worries. You're not holding on to them, but your hands are open. And you're going to give God your worries, but then your hands are also in a posture of receiving. So you give your worries and you receive his supernatural peace. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for Jesus. God, I thank you for Christmas as a reminder that you made good on a promise that you made long ago to send a savior to come to us and to rescue us from our sin so that we might be in right relationship with you. And Father, you never designed for us to spend our lives worrying about things we can't control. So Father, with our arms open wide today, we release our worries to you. We give them to you in exchange for one of the most amazing gifts, the gift of peace. But not just any kind of peace, Lord. The gift of peace that passes all understanding. The gift of peace that protects our minds and our hearts. Oh God, we thank you. Thank you for taking our worries. And God, we thank you for blessing us with your peace. And Lord, if there's someone here today, God, who's never experienced salvation, your salvation, salvation that can only come from a relationship with you, God, I pray that today would be the day that with their arms open wide, that they would simply pray, Jesus, I need you. I'm messed up. I've done things I'm not proud of. I've lived my life for myself and not for others. I'm struggling, Lord, and I need you to come and to rescue me. I need your salvation for my sin has damned me to hell but you have come to take my place. Come and be my Lord and come and be my Savior. Again, Father, thank you. Thank you for salvation. 
Thank you for freedom. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for your peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to sing a song and as we worship and as we wrap up our time of worship. And my heart is that as we sing this song, that you will continue to have a conversation with God. If there are worries in your life, share them with him. Let him know. You can come up here. Uh, we, this is our altar area. We'd love for you to come if you want to and spend time on your knees praying uh, before the Lord. Uh, this Our house is your house. You're welcome. If you want someone to come pray with you, I'm right there on the front row. Tap me. I'll come. I'll pray with you. Maybe invite someone around you. Say, hey, would you come pray with me? I'm sure they would. And, and just spend time in prayer. But this place is your place, and you're welcome to come. But let's stand and let's sing together in our closing song.